I am now joined with Armand A. Gonzalez, who is the author of the book called Catherine Magnolia Johnson. Welcome, Armand, onto the Black Book Show. Before well, we thank start, you. Before we start to talk about the book you've written, I just want you to, you know, introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, well, I am uh, uh, right now living in uh, New Orleans. Um, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and I uh, uh, lived most of my adult life there. But after I retired some years ago, um, we moved down to our family house uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I taught grammar school early on, finished college, taught grammar school, high school, uh, ended up teaching college biology for about a year. And then uh, I was asked to take the uh, MCAT exam by the Dean of Students at Loyola Stritch School of Medicine, which I did in 1972. And uh, he then asked me to join the uh, 1972 class in September, and I did that and finished medical school, um, graduated in 1975, opened a practice, a pediatric practice on the far north side of Chicago, which I ran for 45 years. And uh, during that time, I also had a lot of administrative positions like chairman of pediatrics, uh, director of newborn nursery services, and I taught at several of the Chicago medical schools for both medical students and nurse practitioners. Um, during my, my professional life, I published uh, you know, some research papers, some articles, some other things. Uh, my first actual book was Catherine Magnolia Johnson, which I published in 2018, self-published. And um, it's a obviously nonfiction biography but it's written in the first person so in a sense it's an autobiography and well, um well that's the book that i want to now go on to talk to you about um Catherine magnolia johnson yeah so people listening um are probably thinking you know who is Catherine magnolia johnson i mean that's the title of the book and it's autobiography about Catherine magnolia johnson so please let the listeners know who that is and you know explain um more what the book's about i guess give an overview of the book well Catherine magnolia johnson uh was my great great aunt um on my father's side of the family um she was um a notorious individual uh, born in 1878 in a little colored settlement um called longtown ohio it was in a county called dark county now, Longtown was a settlement founded by uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Clemens, Samuel Clemens, in 1818. Uh, of course, slavery was still quite active in the United States at that time. But um, the person who owned Samuel um, wanted a better life for his slaves. So he freed Samuel. Samuel ended up marrying um uh, his daughter, his owner's daughter, Sophia, and um, uh, the owner, uh, his name was Adam Sellers, moved them to uh, Ohio and settled uh, in this area called Longtown in Dark County. 
Catherine uh, was one of eight children. Her father's name uh, was Walter Johnson. Her mother's name was Lucinda McCowan, Jane Lucinda McCowan Johnson. And uh, about four months after Catherine's birth in 1878, uh, her father, Walter Johnson, died uh, of causes unknown at this point. Um, and of course, at that time, fathers were very important in um, family life, especially in families of African-Americans, um, because the father was responsible uh, for, for farming, for hunting, for teaching the kids to, to read and write, and of course, maintaining the home and any outlying buildings or, or land that they had. So when um, her father died, uh, Catherine's mother was left a widow with like eight children. Uh, and about 10 years after uh, the death, they moved from uh, Longtown to New Paris, uh, Ohio, which is about 15 miles um, to the east of Longtown. And of course, Catherine found herself going to a new school with new people. Um and she ended up being the only person of color in this particular grammar school in New Paris, Ohio. And um, at the same time, her mother remarries a fellow by the name of Archard. Now, the person she remarried was much darker in complexion than her first husband, Catherine's father. And as a result, all of her brothers and sisters left home except for one. Uh, and that was her younger brother, Jesse, who remained in the home. And at that point, Catherine realized that color made a difference, even in the uh, African-American communities, and that the lighter-skinned African-Americans seemed to have greater opportunities for marriage, for education, and employment. So Catherine went on to New Paris High. She ended up with the highest grade point average of the 1895 graduating class. Uh, this was the high school class at this point. And every year, the uh, Miami University of Ohio would award a scholarship to the person that had the highest grade point average. Now, that particular year, it went to a girl by the name of Paul Pearl, and she happened to be the girl that Catherine tutored throughout her entire time at New Paris High School. Um, and, of course, there's a bit of controversy around that as well in that um, uh, there, no, one, no person of color had ever graduated from New Paris uh, High School. And, and they certainly didn't want Catherine to be the first. But fortunately for her, she had neighbors that um, were influential in the city, and they were able to get her into the school. And as I said, she graduated with the highest grade point average, but um, she never got the scholarship. In fact, she didn't find out that she had the highest grade point average until about 30 years later when she ran into the daughter of one of the people that stood up for her uh, to enter the high school at that time. After high school, Catherine goes to Wilberforce University at the encouragement of her stepfather, Mr. Orchard. And for the first time in her life, she says she feels free. She says um, in her diary that I finally entered a new world where my existence was okay 
and acknowledged. So Catherine graduates, accepts a teaching position in a colored school system in Dark County, and a short time later, she travels to Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Uh, for the first time in her life, she found herself in a southern state having to face Jim Crow laws, such as sitting in the back of buses or back of trains or in the colored waiting room. This was something she just wasn't used to. And it kind of opened her eyes to the problems of people of color in the southern states. At the same time, her mother, um, Jane Lucinda McCown, uh, Johnson uh, became ill, uh, developed skin cancer, and in 1905 she dies and causes Catherine to grieve for the rest of that school year. Uh, but in 1906, uh, during a visit to Wilberforce, her alma mater, uh, the dean of students there asked her to take the position of dean of women at Shorter College in Little Rock, Arkansas. So Catherine travels down to Shorter College. Two weeks after she arrives, uh, the 1906 Argena race riot starts. And Catherine finds herself right in the middle of the racial violence. Of course, this is the first time she had ever experienced the violence of racism. She had experienced racism even in Ohio, but not the violence of it. And so this kind of shocked her a bit. She survives the riot finishes her contract at Shorter College and then goes to Sumner High School in Kansas City, Kansas in 1907. When she arrives there, um, this was the same year they had passed a, uh, a law in Kansas to segregate the high schools. Um, and so she finds herself in the midst of that. And then, of course, uh, she finds herself also dealing with a principal that was abusing um, the young girls at the uh, high school. And so she reports the principal to the school board and uh, Catherine ends up getting fired. Uh, and the head of the school board, who was a white person, tells her that all black men are like this and no matter who we hire, it'll end up the same way. This same person that was principal at Sumner High School while Catherine was there um, I ended up being uh, president of Langston University in Oklahoma uh, in 1916. And W.E.B. Du Bois, um, uh, a very noted scholar of the time and one of the founders of the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, um, was on the search committee for Langston University and actually contacted Catherine about this fellow, asking her what she knew, and she tried to explain to him uh, the, that kind of interaction and the things he did at Sumner High School. But he ended up being president of uh, Langston between 1916 and 1923 anyway. In 1910, Catherine receives the first issue of the Crisis magazine put out by the NAACP. And... Um, this fired Catherine up. Uh, she she had never uh, seen an organization or, or experienced an organization that fought for the rights of African-American people. And so she wanted to be a part of that. So by 1912, she became the first field agent for the NAACP. 
And she was very aggressive at not only spreading the message of the NAACP and spreading the Crisis magazine, uh, but she also opened quite a few um, NAACP branches throughout the South, uh, taking her life in her hands, literally hiding from white supremacist groups like the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, in basements and in, in back country areas. Um, but she was still quite successful uh, from 1912 to 1916. Um, she did that. In 1917, she was um, a uh, volunteer with the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. And she volunteers to go to World War I France as a secretary with the YMCA. Now, the secretaries for the YMCA took care of the troops. They would service the troops with uh, recreational activities, reading material, um, excursions, things like that. So in 1918, Catherine finds herself in France. She sets up uh, the Fre Frederick Douglass Hut because the white uh, welfare workers wouldn't take care of the African-American troops. So Catherine and two other women had the responsibility of providing services for something like 40,000 African-American troops um, at the initiation of the, when the, the U.S. got into the war in 1918 France. Um, she also set up schools to teach the colored soldiers how to read and write. Many of them were um, farmers, um, and uh, so they and and of course, uh, historically, uh, it was against the law um, for African Americans to be taught to read or write. Uh, and a lot of these were um, their parents were were ex slaves, and and so she ended up uh, developing a curriculum. Uh, that the army loved so much they adopted it and mandated uh, all black soldiers to attend uh, to learn to read and write. Now, prior to that, they were signing their checks with an X. But by the time they finished uh, Catherine's school, um, they were signing their names. Catherine returns to the U.S. after World War I in 1919, and uh, she returns to New York. Uh, Brooklyn, to be exact. And at that time, um, the uh, Capitol Theater in New York City was about to show that uh, racist film, Birth of a Nation. And so the NAACP contacted her and asked her to, to develop a protest against the film to try and stop it from being shown. So Catherine does that. She stops the film from being shown, but in the meantime, she's arrested. And luckily for her, the NAACP legal team gets her released. At that point, Catherine buys a 1920 Model T Ford and sets up on a new adventure. This is where she starts um, selling her two-foot shelf of Negro literature for $25. She had 14 books that she sold to black communities, schools, churches, libraries, anyone that would buy the books. And they were all by African-American authors. Um, she does this and in fact becomes probably the very first um, black bookmobile person. Uh, and 
So she travels all over the country, um, down the East Coast, down to Florida, uh, west to Kansas, California, in this Model T Ford. Um, and she does this uh, from 1920 to 1934. And then as a result of health reasons, she has to stop driving. And she ends up living in Chicago at 4506 Prairie. In um, 1940, Catherine runs for U.S. Congress on the Republican ticket. She lost, but it was in the same congressional district in Illinois that Barack Obama ran and lost uh, when he first started his his venture in politics. Uh, Catherine worked for a beautician by the name of Azella Mathis Corner, uh, Carter, and um they had opened a home for African-American women that needed a place to stay as they migrated north. Um, Catherine uh, uh, ends up uh, um, dying in 1954, about seven months after the Supreme Court ruling, uh, Brown versus Board of Education, that ended the juror segregation in the United States. Uh, so uh, there was a lot that Catherine did that uh, it would take forever to explain. Uh, but one of the things um, was uh, she was on Franklin D. Roosevelt's uh, Fair Employment Practices Committee uh, when he signed the Executive Order 8802 to uh, address unequal hiring practices by the federal government. And this was in response to A. Philip Randolph's threat in uh, 1941 uh, to uh, march on Washington if the president didn't do something to stop discrimination in hiring by the defense industry, because all the jobs for uh, World War II were going to only white people. And uh, uh, Catherine and others felt that this was wrong and, uh, uh, and protested. So that, that was Catherine Johnson. She was quite an individual. Yes, definitely. She's very unique, uh, trailblazer and an inspiring person. Um, what I want to know is, you know, what inspired you to write about your great, um, your great grand aunt, uh, Catherine? Well, that that's that's an easy question, actually. Um, my father was uh, the family's um, historian uh, when we were kids. Um, we used to have very large family reunions, 400, 500 people would show up at our family reunions and they would bring materials and give them to my father. And so my father did all of the um, family trees. Uh, he would take uh, back then uh, eight millimeter pictures and interview people. Uh, and I still have some of those eight millimeter uh, film uh, interviews. And uh, so he had this material. He put it all together in several volumes. Uh, these were documents that go back to the 1750s of property that family members owned. Um, these were letters uh, um, uh, from uh Civil War people uh, in the family that were in the Civil War and uh, 
so we had family members in uh, the Civil War, in World War One, World War Two, the Spanish-American War, the War of 1812, uh, the War of New Orleans. And, and uh, so we have letters from all of these people dating back to the 1860s. Um, and we also have letters from uh, the NAACP to Catherine when she was working for them uh, between the years 1912 and 1916. Uh, so he had all this material. And I think that uh, he died in 1996. And I think if he had lived, he would have written this book himself. But he didn't. So I, when I retired, I took it upon myself um, to gather this material, to compile uh, all of Catherine's stuff and and try to put it together in a book uh, for the family. And that's what I did. Now, there's so much information that you've, you know, you've, that you've contacted, you've already explained in the book, and there's so much information that may have not gone into the book that you, you knew about Catherine. So what I want to know is how did you decide, you know, what to include and what not to include um, in Catherine's story and writing this book? Well, it, it, you know, initially I put too much in the book and I ended up um, revising it because Catherine, along with uh, people like Paul Robinson, Langston Hughes, um, uh, Richard Wright, um, uh, uh, she was against fascism. And um, even though they called some of these folks communists back in the day, it was really they really weren't. They were just against fascism. And so um, they pushed to um, uh, do things like uh, supply an ambulance to, to the, the, the Spanish Civil War um, or uh, to Halle Selassie in Ethiopia when, when Mussolini invaded. And even though they were part of the, the what is now um, uh, you know, the, the, the nations that uh, align themselves. I can't think of what they call themselves right now. The, the League of Nations was what they called it back then. Um, uh, they, the, the other countries wouldn't defend them. So there was so much material, but what I did was I simply followed her life. I looked at her time in school uh, and her time um, with the uh, uh, NAACP, some of her experiences uh, uh, with dealing with racism and color, and I contracted it all as much as I could into episodes in her life. And so I tried to keep it um, just around her and not some of these other um, adventures that she had. No. You must have learned a lot of things whilst writing about Catherine. And, you know, with the introduction that you gave, it was very in-depth. And um, there was a lot that you mentioned about Catherine. What I want right. to know, though, is what surprised you the most about Catherine as you researched her life? Oh, there were. Uh, it, what really surprised me was the fact that she was such a prolific writer. Catherine published um, several books. Um she also um, uh, wrote several uh, newspaper articles and um, uh, did quite a bit of public speaking uh, after World War One. Uh, she also interacted with a lot of historical notables like Charles Young, who was the third African-American to graduate from West Point. 
uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, who signed, um, uh, worked with her at the NAACP and signed a patent for her brother, Jesse, who invented a corn shucking machine. And as I said, she worked with Langston Hughes, Paul Robeson. She also worked with Mary White Ovington, uh, one of the founders of the NAACP, and Hallie Q. Brown, who was a very notable speaker uh, back in the um, uh, early 1900s, traveling to Europe eight or nine times, uh, audiences with Queen Victoria, things like that. Um, I didn't know either uh, uh, that my grand, her brother, Dr. Joseph Johnson, my great-granduncle, he was uh, a physician and the first ambassador to Liberia. I, I had no idea. Um, until I started going through this material. But even more, what surprised me, because Catherine never married and, and had no children, and I thought she was just, you know, uh, uh, as they used to call them, a spinster. But she did have a love life. She actually uh, was engaged to a fellow by the name of Milton Josiah Smith uh, with a ring and a promise of marriage. They met in Grand Forks, North Dakota, while Catherine was taking some college courses there in 1908 or 1909. But it didn't work out. Um, Milton's brother was a physician. Evidently, Milton uh, came down with some type of illness. I believe it was tuberculosis. And uh, stopped corresponding with Catherine, uh, ended up asking for his engagement ring back. And then um, Milton's brother, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, actually told Catherine that she should just forget about him. And this relationship went from 1908 to about 1917. And at that point, Catherine was volunteering to go to World War I France. And I kind of believe that she did so because that hurt her and she just needed a distraction. And I think that kind of encouraged her to go to World War I France. So those are just a few of the things that surprised me about Catherine. Who is the target reader of this book and the the purpose of the book? I mean, obviously, I know it's important you, from a family perspective, um, but on a wider scale now, um, yeah, what, who, who would you say, outside of the family, et cetera, who would you say, this is the ideal person I would want to read the book and the purpose, the impact it, of, of the book? Well, I, I think when you look at Catherine's life and the period she grew up in where Jim Crow and segregation were legal, where uh, people of color had no rights in this country, really, um, I, I think she's an inspiration for young girls. And I think that... Um, any high school or even some um, middle school uh, young girls of color would be very interested in reading um, Catherine's story, um, her determination, um, her accomplishments, um, the fact that she would just never give up. Uh, so I think that's one audience. I think uh, people that are interested in African-American history, many people, I used to go from uh, one African-American museum to another speaking about Catherine when I first published the book, and uh, almost everyone was surprised that they had never heard of her. 
And uh, so I think anyone interested in African-American history would be very pleased to, to know that here's another person that you've never heard about, not as famous as uh, uh, Bethune or, or Sojourner Truth or, or um, Ida B. Wells or uh, Frederick Douglass, but certainly she played a huge role in, in the civil rights movement, um, uh, even though it was at a low point uh, during most of her life. So I think that's, that would be the audience. Um, um, people interested in history, uh, young, young women that are interested in reading about a person, a female person of color that was so accomplished um, uh, so I think those would be my two audiences. Well, we're coming to the conclusion of the interview, but before we go, what I would like you to do is to give us your final comments and then tell the listeners again the title of your book and where they can purchase the book from. Well, um, as I said, I cannot uh, go through the entire book and all of the the. The, the kinds of things, all the firsts that Catherine was responsible for, um, uh, opening the door for uh, uh, people of color in politics in 1940, um, uh, volunteering in World War I, developing schools that the Army ended up uh, 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 copying to teach uh, uh, illiterate troops how to read and write. Um, so I think uh, that Catherine did quite a few things. Um, uh, the book is called Catherine Magnolia Johnson, updated and revised. It's got pictures in it. It's got documents in it. Um, the, the epilogue is full of uh, some other personal things that occurred in Catherine's life. Um, and uh, it can be uh, bought on Amazon. And in case they want to search your name on Amazon, um, how would they find it? Um, if you could just spell your name. It's Armand, A-R-M-A-N-D. Last name is Gonzalez, spelled quite differently, G-O-N-Z-A-L-Z-L-E-S. And uh, you can find um, the book either under my name or under the name of the book, Catherine Magnolia Johnson. And can you just spell that, Catherine Magnolia Johnson? K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, Magnolia, M-A-G-N-O-L-I-A, and Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Catherine Magnolia Johnson. Okay, and do you have any social media handles or any contact, you know, that you may want to give out in case someone wants to, you know, follow you on social media or contact you directly? Well, uh, they can contact me by email at armand46 at aol.com. And I do have a Facebook page um, uh, on uh, Amazon uh, for the book. Okay, thank you very much. Um, armand A. Gonzalez, it's been wonderful speaking to you on the Black Book Show. And enjoy the rest of your evening. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to uh, your next virtual book club meeting. Uh, okay, take care. Okay, bye-bye.